this is Robert Berry, and welcome to Retro Crush, the podcast, episode 64. Got a very special episode for you today. Our our good buddy Keith Lowell Jensen, who you've heard on some previous podcasts, uh, stand-up comedian, leader of the comedy troupe, I Can't Believe It's Not Comedy, and uh, uh, sometimes writer for our uh, website as well, uh, was uh, lucky enough to be able to interview Bob Newhart. Uh, Bob was coming to Sacramento for... Uh, Appearance and uh, through uh, Keith's uh, connections at the the News and Review, was able to write a story and interview uh, uh, with Bob for them. But was able to graciously share the audio of the phone interview with us to uh, share on our podcast here. So, uh, just uh, gonna have a, a special episode with this on there today. Um, it's a, it's a really fun interview, and Bob talks about a lot of different things in his career uh, that you'll get to hear about. Um, as you can imagine, uh, if you know anything about Bob Newhart, he's a pretty soft-spoken guy, and though uh, his audio was fine for transcription purposes in the interview, uh, we had to kind of increase uh, the levels of audio of some of Bob's answers so that you could actually hear them. So uh, you might hear some weird little fuzzy sounds that accompany that, but um, I, I think at least you'll be able to hear everything that he says at this point. So hope you enjoy it. So without further ado, here is... Uh, Retro Crush's pal Keith Lowell Jensen interviewing Bob Newhart. Hello. Uh, hi, this is Bob hi, Newhart. Keith, uh, hi, how are you? Uh, I'm great. How are you, Bob? Fine, thanks. All right, thank you very much for agreeing to uh, this interview. Sure, sure. All right. So you're uh, you're coming to Sacramento soon. Uh, yeah. Very exciting. When was your last visit to uh, our fair city here? You know, I'm trying to think. I did a. Um I think I did a corporate date up up there not a couple of years ago. Yeah, is that something you still do a lot of? Uh, yeah, I, I do. Uh, actually, personal appearances I do probably thirty, thirty-five a year, something like that. And, and what is that like? Is that stand-up or? That's pretty. Yeah, that's pretty much stand-up. This this is, um, as I understand, the speakers bureau kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it, it'll be. It'll be more personal reminiscences, I, I you know, I, I think. That sounds great. I actually just saw Elaine May in a speaker series oh, in really? uh, San oh. Francisco. Oh, that's that that should be fascinating. It was delight. As I was sitting there, I said the only thing better than this would be is if they can get us Bob Newhart. <laughs> <laughs> so, are you doing uh, stand-up gigs in clubs these days at all? Yeah, yeah, I, I do. Um, I do. Prob- I, I do, as I say, like thirty uh, a year. Um, Oh, in in actual comedy clubs as well. Well, they're not comedy clubs. They're they're uh, centers for the performing arts. That, right. That kind of thing. And do you do your old material? Is it new material? It's a combination of. Uh, I'll probably do one or two of the. Um, uh, of, well, of course, in the speakers bureau, it it, it may be different, but right. Um, uh, maybe tell a little of the background of how a particular routine came to be. Okay. And then, great. Uh, and then, uh, it, so you know, it, it, the speaker bureau thing is is kind of different than the stand up. Right. Right. Uh, if if I could go uh, backwards in in time a little bit here, I sure. wanted to ask you about uh, in the early days a couple of rumors that I'd heard. One is that the uh, the recording of your debut album, uh, your first time in front of a co- comedy club audience doing stand up live was, according to this rumor, the night before that recording was made. Is, is that true? 
not the night before. It was um, I, I. I was in Chicago, living in Chicago, and uh, the Warner Brother people came through. Uh, Warner Brother record people came through, and um, it, it was a, a friend of mine who is actually in the Sacramento area, Dan Sorkin. Um, he was a, a disc jockey in Chicago, and, and we got to know each other. And, and of course, when the Warner Brother record people came through Chicago, they they naturally called on Dan because he was a top DJ in, in mm-hmm. Chicago. And uh, he said, you know, I have this friend of mine uh, that I think is funny, and uh, and they said, well, have him put some of this stuff on tape, and we'll listen to it. So Dan called me up and said, you know, uh, you know, put some of the stuff you know you've been doing on on tape because I I've been appearing locally around Chicago, but never uh, never in a nightclub. Okay. And um, and and so. Uh, so I did, and they listened to it, and they said, okay, uh, you know, we, we'd like to record him. So they said, we'll record you at your next nightclub. And uh, <laughs> I said, well, we, we have a problem there, because I've never, I've never played a nightclub. <laughs> and they said, well, we'll have to get you into a nightclub. So uh, uh, they arranged for me to uh, to be the opening act in uh, in Houston, Texas. And, um, uh, and I, I was there about two weeks, and then at the end of the two weeks, we recorded the album, and then wow. it just went it just went crazy. You know? So the yeah, the opening act recorded what has gone on to be one of the the classic comedy albums of all time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now Shelley Berman's album came out around the same time, and, and between it's the two albums, er- yeah, he came out. This came out earlier. Right. And between the two albums, they really opened up a whole new medium for for stand-ups. Uh, were you surprised by how big of a market there was for these recordings? Oh yeah. Well, th- th- there there were a number. Of Mel- uh, Mort Saul put out an album. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike and Elaine uh, put out an album. Right. Uh, Shelley put out an album. I put out an album. Uh, so so um, uh, I was uh, I was totally taken by surprise as to how how well it was received. I I never thought. You know, I I thought of it as an adjunct to um, to a, a a nightclub career where maybe. You know, you might sell twenty five thousand, and maybe a hundred, couple hundred people would come in each town that you played that right. heard the album. And uh, but it it just went it went crazy. It, yeah. it got uh, and and in that year it got the, the album of the year, uh, and it beat out uh, Belafonte and um, and Sinatra. And uh, hmm. I found out lately Frank was not all that pleased with the fact. That it, <laughs> a, com- a comedy album. <laughs> yeah, from what I hear, Frank was often displeased. <laughs> yeah, it didn't take much to, to get Frank displeased. No. Did you ever have any kind of interaction with him? Yeah, we uh, we had a, a house at the beach, and he had a house at the beach, and and we we'd be each other's guests, but th- that never came up. He, he okay. never mentioned it. I, I found <laughs> out I found out later that he was, he was not he was not thrilled that a comedy album be because his album was the, the the nice and easy album. Well, I don't. I don't want to, to totally jump in the mud here uh, after talk about a, a possible unhappiness from Frank Sinatra, but moving right into another possibility from Shelley Berman, I, I had heard that there might have been some tension over the fact that you both did the phone gags, uh, which obviously were, were very different gags. I mean, you were talking, you know, to historical figures, and <laughs> yeah, but it, uh, it actually the phone had been around um, as a county device for a long time. So, so Shelley didn't invent the phone. No, no, he did, he, did, <laughs> he popularized it, but he didn't right. invent it. Um, 
and of course Michael Lane did phone routines, mm-hmm. and uh, th- there was a whole sea change in uh, in comedy that um, at, at that time uh, it, it was another way uh, of doing comedy. Um, right. You know, uh, before that it was take my wife please or uh, right the the one shot vaudeville any young men kind of broom bum jokes you know right and and these were vignettes these were kind of. Uh, um, so it, it was it was a sea change that that just happened, you know, mm-hmm. and it it caught fire and uh, and people wanted to hear it. Right, thank God. <laughs> yeah. Now you you uh, funneled this into uh, both television and a little bit in movies. I, I really enjoyed you in Catch Twenty Two. Oh, thank uh, you. Thank you. Yeah, I enjoyed Catch Twenty Two. Oh, that was fun. Wonderful movie. And and then more recently, you were great in Elf. I'm curious why you don't do more films. Was that a decision that you made, or are you very picky about scripts? Uh, well, I, I don't know. I've turned down. I've turned down some some things. I I just didn't think were right. Right. Um, I I enjoyed I enjoyed the filmmaking process, but it, but it was it's kind of so far removed from stand-up or from television, you mm-hmm. know, where, where the, you have the immediate gratification of, uh, of an audience, right. as, as opposed to a movie where, you know, you, may, you might spend six months on it, and then, uh, as in the case of uh, the, the first family, you know, spend six months on making it, and then it doesn't work, you know, right. uh, whereas with a television show, you know, you, you do one that doesn't work, but then you're, you're, the next week you're doing one, and it does work, and now, uh, you mentioned First Family. Was this a film version of the famous Von Meter album? No, no, no. This was a, a thing written by Buck Henry. Oh, okay. With uh, Gilda Radner and um, Madeline Kahn and myself. And uh, Oh, I completely missed that. Wow. Yeah, but, yeah a lot of people did. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize. I'll go check it out. I love Buck Henry. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, yeah. It, it just, it, it the individual parts were funny, but when it, it didn't, it never came together as a movie. It, it was mm-hmm. like a... Uh, an overly long Saturday night live sketch. Right. right. We see that a lot, unfortunately, yeah. Yeah. in films. Um, well, well, back to television. Uh, you made a decision to end the Bob Newhart show when it was on top, and I know a lot of people would have kept it going for much longer. Um, what made you decide that? And, and in hindsight, are you still satisfied with that decision? Yeah, I am, because I've seen shows that stayed on a year too long, and uh-huh. and they they lose all the luster that that they had generated. I I just, it's just a gut feeling I had that maybe we were running short on uh, on ideas, and um, and and that was the time to end it. You know that 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 little man on my shoulder who's been there all all these years, you know, kind of whispered in my ear and. Uh, and, and I've I've gotten to trust him. You know, I I trust him. Uh, he's he's been right. So. Right. He, he seems like you've done all right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. No. Um. And and then you uh you surprised everyone again when you ended the Bob Newhart or the uh, when you ended Newhart. Yeah. Um. Not only with with ending it, but how you ended it. Whose idea was that to do the the dream sequence ending that's become so famous now? That that was my wife's idea. That was your wife's idea, yeah. really? Yeah. She. Uh, I told her I was thinking of ending the show. Uh, uh-huh. uh, this was in the sixth year of, of Newhart, and um, I was unhappy with CBS because they were mo- 
moving us around from uh, we, we kind of established nine o'clock Monday night as a hit time slot, right? Uh, and uh, and they they were moving us to eight thirty and putting another show, put Murphy Brown in at nine, and then they'd make put us at nine thirty, and so I was kind of unhappy with the the way they were treating the show, and uh, so I told her I said you know I think this is going to be the last year of the show, and she said well if it is. Um, you ought to end it on a dream sequence because there's there's just so many inexplicable things. You know the 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 maid was an heiress, and, and you know and you had Larry Daryl and Daryl, right? You know these people from West Virginia in the in the middle of Vermont. You know, and uh, of course I I always felt that uh, Larry Daryl and Daryl were right out of uh, Deliverance. You know, right, right. <laughs> That's surreal. A lot of. Uh, Intermarriage had taken place between, uh-huh. uh, between cousins to produce Larry Daryl and Daryl. Well, I, I have a feeling that I get uh, that I call the Newhart syndrome based on that show. Uh, when when everyone else in the world seems crazy and and you feel like the only sane one. <laughs> um, and and in that show, I think we all loved it because we could see that this was at least one case where you were right, where you were dealing with this crazy society this crazy uh place you'd found yourself in is is that a feeling you get in real life that you're hoping to capture in that show yeah as a matter of fact we did um there, there was a show we did uh or uh, um, anyway it was called the, the the last sane man left on earth you know and and that was kind of the formula that made the show work was mm-hmm. Well, all this craziness is going on around him. You know, he still remains calm and and tries to sort through it, and and keeps yelling out, "This is crazy!" And and, and of course, people say, "Yeah, you're right," but this is the way we do it. You know, right? Um, so yeah, that that was that was a formula, and uh, and it worked. Oh, it, that I think uh, New Art has to be the best example of that working. I I absolutely love it. Um, so what uh, what sitcoms? on TV now do you enjoy do you think are doing it well well I miss I miss like uh, everybody loves Raymond I thought I thought that was a wonderful wonderful show wonderfully mm-hmm. written and performed um, and um, the um, oh I'm trying to think of his name um, he was on Cheers and then later uh, Kelsey Grammer I oh enjoyed, yeah I yeah enjoyed his show uh, and th- and there still is some good writing uh, out there. Uh, yeah, uh, you know. Um, you uh, you appeared on The Simpsons. Are you a big fan of The Simpsons? Oh yeah, yeah. I I I, I love great. You know, I love wonderful writing. And, yeah, uh, th- that's why I enjoy Desperate Housewives because I think it's just it's it's wonderfully crafted and. Uh, that's that's one I'm saving for DVD because I just can't keep up with it. <laughs> no, but I do I do plan to. The ones I've seen, I really enjoyed. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it's just uh, well, of course, it, it was um, Mark Cherry who created it was uh, a writer on the Golden Girls and okay, and you know writing doesn't get really get much better than the Golden Girls. They, they yeah, was, they did some marvelous things. Absolutely. Um, so uh, when when you were on The Simpsons. Uh, I saw you on the episode with Krusty's funeral. Yeah, that's the only one I did. Okay, and they roped you into speaking, 
and and it was you know the cheers for Bob Newhart, and then and then your speaking was very serious, very dry. <laughs> And uh, I thought it was great. Now, did they invite you to do the writing there, or did they come to you with that concept? How, how did that take well, place? Well, uh, what happened was um, one of the writers, David Merkin, uh, had been a writer on our show. So okay. He knew my rhythms. Okay. So that, that when he came up with the idea uh, of Krusty the, the Clown and explained it to me, um, I said, yeah, because I, I, knew, I knew how to play that guy. You know, right. I mean, this is a guy who, who's talking about somebody he doesn't even know. You know, and being asked to give a eulogy on somebody he's never met. You know, right. And and that that kind of hesitant. So so when when David called me and, and explained the idea, I said, Yeah, great, okay, because uh, I knew right away how to play the guy. You know, I mean, in saying. Right, he's very, very like I, I didn't actually know him, but from what I understand, he's he's supposed to be very nice, you know. <laughs> right, <laughs> that kind of uh, definitely an awkward position to be in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, what about um, stand-up comedians? Have you uh, have you kept track of the stand-up scene now? Are there comedians that you admire that are working now? Well, I suppose some of the um, some of the ones I, I mentioned are, are going to be veterans now. But, right. But, you know, I, I always enjoyed Seinfeld's work. I always enjoyed mm-hmm. uh, Gary Shandling's work. Oh, Shandling's uh, great. I liked uh, Stephen Wright. Uh, um, again, brilliant. And there's a guy who very often appears on Letterman, uh, um, uh, Jake Johansson. Okay. And uh, and then from time to time I'll turn on HBO uh, and, and see, see a guy who, who's... And say, well, he's good. He's he's yeah. really good. And uh, and of course, my my all-time favorite was um, was uh, Pryor, Richard Pryor. Yeah, that was even, a sad even though you know we we obviously worked differently, but uh, but, but he, you know he, the 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 concepts that he dealt with were just they were just incredible. Yeah, and that brings up another. Uh, thing that I was thinking about here, you've always worked very clean, yeah. uh, and yet one of your favorite comedians was, you know, the, pretty much as blue as they got. Um, was that a big decision of yours to work clean, or is it just what comes natural to you? I, I always felt better when I walked off the stage, and, and I didn't have to resort to that, but I, I don't see, I don't think prior resorted to it. It, it. I mean, some comedians resort to shock, right. just for shock's sake. Um Pryor just happened to be a shocking man, huh? <laughs> he, he just—I mean, I, I would have—I would have felt cheated, you know, if, right. if he came out and said, "Gosh darn it," or "He whiz," <laughs> you know. Just, uh, you know, he—he he used the language of the street, and and that's right. what you expected. But once you took away the the language, the the, the concepts were just were just brilliant. They were just, right. You know. Right. So it's it's not when about I, the when the... I got the um, Mark Twain Award. Mm-hmm. I think I was a fifth recipient because uh, Richard was the first recipient of it, and uh, it was so appropriate that he got it because, uh, as I mentioned in my in my speech, my acceptance speech, that 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 he he really did today what Mark Twain was doing at the turn of the century. You know, I mean, Mark Twain was was writing about. Um, uh, what it was like growing up on, on what was then the frontier uh, uh, at the turn of the century, and and Richard Pryor was talking about what it was like growing up in the inner city and the right. and the colorful characters that that uh, 
that inhabited the inner city. And and both of them caused some shock by using the real language. Yeah, yeah. So. I've, I've heard uh, in, in some of the reading I did on Mark Twain that um, I think it was Hemingway that said that, that Twain was the first original American voice. Yeah. yeah that the, the other writers before him, Hawthorne or, uh, or whoever, um, were really just in the, uh, in the, in the manner of, of European writers. But right. The, the uh, but Twain was a was the first authentic voice, right? Yeah, and and you would put Pryor in that same category as the oh real, yeah 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 authentic American voice, and that you know I mean that 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 shift that you talk about around the time that you and and Mort Saul and Shelley Berman were coming up uh, into more of the monologist scene that that really made room for people like Pryor. Yeah, I suppose. I, you know, it, it 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 certainly wasn't. We didn't all get together and say we've got to turn comedy upside down. But that's kind of what happened. You right. Know? But it, and I I even go back to George Goebel when uh, you know George would walk out there and and he'd do his stories and and he he wasn't um, he wasn't a, a guy walking out there in a woman's dress. You know. Right. Walking on his on his. Uh, his ankles and you know and making sounds like none 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 you know something like that and, and so when I saw him I it was like oh wow you mean you can make a living doing that you can you can actually you you don't have to be outrageous right and uh, so so George influenced a lot of people oh. we all we're all indebted to you know it's, it's the old story about standing on the, the shoulders of giants and right I think that's what all of us do. Right. Well, a lot of people would <laughs> feel that way about your contributions now. <laughs> uh, did, I, I just want to get one more in here before I let you go. Sure. Did you happen to catch uh, any Mitch Hedberg, any of his material before he passed? I, no, I don't think so. Okay. I, you mentioned Stephen Wright, and I, I see those two as cut from similar cloth. He's uh, he's wonderful if you get a chance. Uh, yeah, I, I, I may have seen him. I, the, the name doesn't ring a bell, but it's, it's possible I, I may have seen him. Yeah, he he unfortunately passed away last year, and and one of those situations where he may become more famous now for for having oh, died young than anything else. Oh, that's a shame. That's a shame. <laughs> no, but uh, okay. Well, it how, was, uh, how young? How young was he? Uh, you know, I'm I'm gonna guess here. I think that I heard that he was uh, in his early 30s. Oh, I think wow. 33, but but I could be wrong. I'll have wow. to look that up. But it's uh, it's been great having a chance to talk with you, well, and I, you. I really look forward to seeing you in Sacramento. I was very excited when they booked that. I thank hope you have a good visit here. Thank you, Keith. All right, thank you. Okay. All right, bye-bye. Right, bye-bye. Well, thanks again to Keith uh, and to Bob Newhart for that great interview. And... Um, just, just kind of fun. If you, uh, boy, you compare this to, we got a uh, Marsha Wallace from the Bob Newhart show, and Bob Newhart himself, and uh, I think at this rate we'll be having uh, phone sex with Suzanne Pluchette in no time. But uh, we're gonna leave you with. Oh, but before I say we're gonna leave you with, um, speaking of Bob Newhart, if you ever get a chance to uh, check out an appearance that he uh, made on ER. Uh, I believe the episodes he did were called. <laughs> it's like I'm saying this from memory. I'm reading off a piece here. He was in an episode called "The Greater Good" and "Death and Taxes." I think it was either a two-part episode there, but uh, he played a character named Ben Hollander, who's this uh, really serious, uh, older suicidal character. Quite a departure uh, from the roles that you might be used to seeing him in. So it really shows what a what a fun, underrated. Uh, 
dramatic presence he can uh, offer as well. But uh, but again, thanks again uh, for for uh, those the interview there, and um, thanks for tuning in to Retro Crush the podcast. Um, you can always email us at rberry at retrocrush.com. Visit the website at retrocrush.com, and you can call the Retro Crush voicemail hotline leave us a message at 916-231-9480 and you can find out a lot more about what keith lowell jensen has going on at his great website rockass.net that's r-o-c-k-a-s-s dot net um he's got uh some really fun stuff the the pan hand uh, a lot of stuff about um, some panhandling experiments that he's done. You can see the trailer for his upcoming documentary and just a lot of stuff to, to leave you entertained for hours. So uh, thanks again. We're going to leave you with the theme to Bob's original uh, TV show, The Bob Newhart Show. <laughs>